Battle of Ypres. The line was narrowly held, with a larger French and Belgian contribution than chauvinists acknowledge, but much of the old British army reposes forever in the region's cemeteries. Four times as many soldiers of the King perished in 1914 as during the three years of the Boer War. Meanwhile in the East, within weeks of abandoning their harvest fields, shops and lathes, newly mobilized Russian, Austrian and German soldiers met in huge clashes. Tiny Serbia inflicted a succession of defeats on the Austrians which left the Habsburg Empire reeling, having by Christmas suffered 1.27 million casualties at Serb and Russian hands, amounting to one in three of its soldiers mobilized. Many books about 1914 confined themselves either to describing the political and diplomatic maelstrom from which the armies flooded forth in August, or to providing a military narrative. I have attempted to draw together these strands, to offer readers some answers at least to the enormous question, what happened to Europe in 1914? Early chapters describe how the war began. Thereafter I have traced what followed on the battlefields and behind them, until, as winter closed in, the struggle lapsed into stalemate, and attained the military character that it retained, in large measure, until the last phase in 1918. Christmas 1914 is an arbitrary point of closure, but I would cite Winston Churchill's remarks above, arguing that the opening phase of the conflict had a unique character which justifies examining it in isolation. My concluding chapter offers some wider reflections. The outbreak has been justly described as the most complex series of happenings in history, much more difficult to comprehend and explain than the Russian Revolution, the onset of World War II, or the Cuban Missile Crisis. This part of the story is inevitably that of the statesmen and generals who willed it, of the rival manoeuvres of the Triple Alliance, Germany and Austria-Hungary, with Italy as a non-playing member, against the Triple Entente of Russia, France, and Britain. In today's Britain there is a widespread belief that the war was so horrendous that the merits of the rival belligerents' causes scarcely matter. The Blackadder take on history, if you like. This seems mistaken, even if one does not entirely share Cicero's view that the causes of events are more important than the events themselves. That wise historian Kenneth O. Morgan, neither a conservative nor a revisionist, delivered a 1996 lecture about the cultural legacy of the twentieth century's two global disasters, in which he argued that the history of the First World War was hijacked in the 1920s by the critics. Foremost among these was Maynard Keynes, an impassioned German sympathizer who castigated the supposed injustice and folly of the 1919 Versailles Treaty, without offering a moment's speculation about what sort of peace Europe would have had if a victorious Kaiserreich and its allies had been making it. The contrast is striking, and wildly overdone, between the revulsion of the British people following World War I and their triumphalism after 1945. I am among those who reject the notion that the conflict of 1914 to 18 belonged to a different moral order from that of 1939 to 45. If Britain had stood aside while the central powers prevailed on the continent, its interests would have been directly threatened by a Germany whose appetite for dominance would assuredly have been enlarged by victory. The seventeenth-century diarist John Aubrey wrote, about 1647 I went to see Parson Stump out of curiosity to see his manuscripts, whereof I had seen some in my childhood. But by that time they were lost and dispersed. His sons were gunners and soldiers, 
and scoured their guns with them. All historians face such disappointments, but the contrary phenomenon also afflicts students of 1914. There is an embarrassment of material in many languages, and much of it is suspect or downright corrupt. Almost all the leading actors, in varying degree, falsified the record about their own roles. Much archival material was destroyed, not merely by carelessness, but often because it was deemed injurious to the reputations of nations or individuals. From 1919 onwards, Germany's leaders, in pursuit of political advantage, strove to shape a record that might exonerate their country from war guilt, systematically eliminating embarrassing evidence. Some Serbs, Russians, and Frenchmen did likewise. Moreover, because so many statesmen and soldiers changed their minds several times during the years preceding 1914, their public and private words can be deployed to support a wider...